Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. And I am thrilled because we have one of my favorite people in the entire world co-hosting today, Grace Rayner, our Clemson writer. You probably know her as a Taylor Swift enthusiast, um, Greenville native. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> she needs she needs she, she needs she needs no no further introduction. Um, but I'm thrilled that Grace is joining the pod today as we talk about the major stories in college football in an hour or less. And Grace, it is lovely to see your face virtually as we are working on this podcast. Um, It's lovely to see your face. And I just, I don't know, I feel like your listeners should know that for someone who's been awake since 3.30 a.m. local time, you look incredible. Well, thank you. I uh, It's been a long day because it's been college football playoff meeting season last week there was a meeting with all the commissioners and notre dame athletic director jack swarbrick and then in dallas here on tuesday there was a meeting with all the commissioners and some university presidents including clemson's jim clements who you know well and really like this was the first time that the presidents can kind of like green light something and they want to continue to have conversations about this 12-team college football playoff format. So basically, it's been trying to figure out what all of these important people feel and think about this proposal. And, you know, they're a little guarded. I think they want to present a united front and be very supportive of it. Um, But really, I've just been, you know, kind of lobby stalking for a week here. (laughs) Lobby stalking. Okay, yeah. So I want to ask you about that and kind of get into... Just like timeline, time-wise, what does this look like? Is this something that we're actually going to see soon? Or is this, I think I saw you tweet something about maybe 2026. Yeah, so that's actually the most interesting thing I think about all of this is you had this four-person working group. Um, We know who was on it, right? We know it was Greg Sankey from the SEC, Bob Bowlesby from the Big 12, Craig Thompson from the Mountain West, and Jack Swarbrick from Notre Dame. And they... We're meeting, having these, you know, these discussions for better parts of two years, and they proposed this model. And it's very detailed when they when they unveil this to us. Six highest ranked conference champions, um, you know, the first round on campuses, and this this whole format, right? And then they say, hey, you know, it wasn't part of our job to look at you know, to talk to ESPN, figure out when we could do this, to really look into, like, our contracts with the Bulls. So now we got to do all of that. And what's become clear is that that's pretty complicated. And I feel like they're trying to reset everyone's expectations about this maybe not happening super fast. And the earliest that we've been told that it could 
take effect would be the 2023 regular season. That's what the executive director, Bill Hancock, said. But honestly, after conversations on Tuesday with different commissioners, including Craig Thompson, who back in December and January told me he was the one most adamant that they could do this before the contract was up. He's like, well, I've, I've learned that there's like a lot of contracts and a lot of legal things that we need to look at. The chair of the um, board of managers, Mark Keenum from Mississippi State, he basically said the same thing. That like as a football fan, as someone who wants more teams to have access to this, he would love to, he essentially would love to snap his fingers and have a bigger playoff right now. But there's all these contracts. And I, I wonder if even college football fans who understand how weird this sport is understand exactly how weird it is. Like, Grace, I don't know if you knew that the Rose Bowl has its own contract, the Sugar has its own, Orange has its own, the rest of the Bulls have their own, then the CFP has their deal with ESPN, Rose Bowl also has a relationship with ESPN, a contract with ESPN, and a, a like a three-prong relationship with the Big Ten and the Pac-12. So they have to fix all of those at the same time. Like, I was unaware how many separate contracts were involved. Mm, okay, so is it... Is it fair for us to say, well, they should have this should have been part of the original plan, or is that well? Too much well, I basically asked Mark Keenum that, and again, he's the chair of the board of managers, and I, I said, like, should you guys have put out this proposal and gotten right. fans really excited about this if it's maybe not going to happen until twenty twenty six, five years from now, right? Like, imagine right. if we go through five seasons of four teams after all of this excitement, right? So I think, you know, they're, they're, he was saying that, you know, they had this working group. They were looking at all this stuff. It, it really wasn't, you know, part of their job to look into the feasibility of stuff and the contracts. But now that we're at this point and I feel like they're trying to reset our expectations, you know, I, I had the same thought. And I, I really am curious. I don't think college football fans are going to enjoy this if it's beyond 2023. Um, right. You know, I just feel like, when the BCS went from BCS to the playoff, there was two seasons of transition. Everyone knew we were going to it. And that was that was it, right? And right. and now, if you go longer than that, I just feel like it would continue to be stale. I mean, I think if we have a couple more seasons of Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State, like all right. the reasons we got to this point, I just I can't even imagine how fans would react. Yeah, I mean, 2026 is like, I don't know. Maybe it's because we're coming off of the longest year in human history, (laughs) but the idea of six more years, I don't know. And then you think about, that's like, that's more than a full recruiting class. Like, what are you telling these teenagers? Hey, come play for us. We think we have a chance at the playoff. Oh, just kidding. No, we don't. Um, Yeah, I don't know. And I, I know that college football fans are, we can be a wild bunch and we can be an impatient bunch, but I do think... Hey, maybe not wait. Making us wait six years is a reasonable request. I think it also sounds kind of ridiculous sometimes. Like if even again, I went through all these different contracts. It's set up in a really weird way because of all mm-hmm. the, you know, the politics involved in all of this and the Rose Bowl's relationship with college football and the bowls and all these things. But. At the end of the day, like, if people really wanted to get something done, they could, right? You you get people right. to a table and you rip up contracts and rewrite them. I think there's another element here, too, where, you know, ESPN has this contract. It was initially a 12-year deal through 2025 regular season, 2026. And if you 
want to renegotiate during this period, you have to renegotiate with ESPN. So you're not taking this idea to an open market. You're not creating a bidding war. You're not having different rounds of the playoff go to different networks, which I think would be the most possible money, right? So that would be another reason to, to slow play this to 2026. But again, like, you didn't have to do it this early. Right. If that was the the end destination. So I'm really curious to see how they navigate this. I feel like today's, uh, you're talk, we're recording this on Tuesday, Tuesday's messaging was really, like, trying to get everyone to kind of, you know, sl- slow the brakes a little bit, um, mm, hit the brakes mm-hmm. a little bit. I don't know if people are going to do that. I think everyone's got their minds made up that we're going to 12 and, you know, two seasons. We'll, we'll, we'll sit through two more seasons of this. I don't know if yeah. that's, I don't know if that's how it's going to play out at this point. So do you, did you get the sense that the presidents and the administrators that you spoke with were kind of on a united front? Or do you think that even they have some mixed emotions? So I, I do think they've done a really good job of trying to be very supportive uh, collectively. And from what I've been told off the record and on background, these have been very collegial conversations. Like, I think everyone kind of has come into these meetings assuming that they're going to have to give up something and and do what's best for college football. I think Jack Swarbrick coming in and saying like, hey, Notre Dame will give up the opportunity to get a buy, give up an opportunity to get a top four seed. Like that set the tone. So I do think the meetings have been productive. I think that there's a general agreement that this 12 team model is good. It addresses all of the issues that you and I have talked about so many times over the years, Grace, especially as you cover one of the most dominant teams you know, it, it covers the issue of access, so the group of five has a path. It covers the issue of inclusion, so that we're paying attention to more teams as we get down the stretch. And then, obviously, the kind of the, the negotiations for the SEC wanting at-large teams, and then the group of five and the Pac-12 and these other leagues wanting, you know, kind of dedicated access as well. The only thing I can think of, the only real crack to the exterior that we've seen here is Larry Scott putting out a statement on Friday last week as the Pac-12 saying that they want an AQ spot and not this idea of like the top six conference champions. And I got to say, so I was driving when when that landed. My first thought was, isn't this a self-own? Aren't you essentially (laughs) saying that you don't think you're going to be ranked ahead of two group of five leagues every year? I yes, right? I why else would you need that? The Pac twelve right. is gonna get teams. Pac twelve always has teams ranked in the top twelve. Like last season was an aberration because they only played like four games, a lot of right. four and five games, some of their teams. It felt like an admission that they didn't think that they're going to be one of the six highest ranked conference champions. It's actually kind of amazing. I'm not gonna lie. I, I don't believe that that is a real sticking point for anyone else um, that has been made pretty clear in conversations. And also Larry Scott is done with this job in about a week. That's what I was going to say. Like, does it, I don't, I'm not even trying to be sarcastic here, but does it matter what Larry Scott thinks? You know, honestly, it might not. And, you know, probably doesn't, especially because I don't think this is a prevailing sentiment in the room. I think that there's a lot of people that really like the idea of just saying six highest ranked conference champions. I I really like that. The more I think about that, you don't have a group of five spot. You don't have a group of five label. Like you can get multiple teams if you have a Coastal and a Cincinnati being good. 
Um, and again, like all of these power conference champions are going to be in that group. Like it's very right. rare that one of them would be ranked below, you know, the group of five champion anyway. So I, I think it's really smart to do it that way. And Chris Vanini, who is a frequent co-host of Power Hour, is writing about that. Like, do we even have to call them group of five? If mm. they're not fighting over one spot, they don't have right. to necessarily be grouped the same way. And I think that's fair. I think that's so I, I like that part a lot. That's one of the parts of the proposal I think was maybe the most thoughtful. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm curious your perspective on it as well for Clemson. Like, Clemson's had no problem getting into the four-team playoff. They're part of the right. problem. Like, they're part of the problem for everybody else. Does it matter? Like, like how's Dabo feel about this or going to feel about a 12-team playoff? I mean, I think, does it matter for Clemson? Not really. Like you said, they've... Uh, they've played in six in a row. Um, Dabo, as we know, has historically been not for expansion. Um, he's just been a little bit more of a traditionalist in that way. And his point has been that when it becomes playoff or bust, his point has always been like, what, ha- what happened to just having a good season with an Orange Bowl win? Like, why does it, why does it have to be playoff or bust? But, like, that's just so... I don't want to say irrelevant for Clemson, but they're in it every year. But I don't know. I think the biggest piece that I have gotten out of Clemson and just talking with athletic director Dan Radakovich is, all right, what does this mean for just the schedule and how many games these kids are going to be playing? Like, are are Clemson athletes now going to be in an ACC championship game and a quarterfinal and a semifinal and a national championship? Like, how how does this affect the regular season just in terms of the length of it? Um, Is I think I think something that that he has said the committee needs to be really cognizant of. So what I think is actually pretty interesting about this is that his president is on the board of managers. So I, I met him for the first time in Dallas. He loves you, by the way. He's and great. we were discussing, I don't know if he would, you know, want me saying this, but it's fine. He's been to a Taylor Swift concert. It's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> this should be public knowledge. Honestly, that's like a, that's a feather in his cap. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it shows how well-rounded he is. Um, for sure. As a university president. So he is in this room and going to be involved in this. And I think that's actually a huge benefit because he's going to go, and he said that he's going to do this, talk to a bunch of the Clemson players because they played 15 games in a season. Right. They've, done, they, they've had teams that have done that multiple years. So you have players who've done that wear and tear multiple times. And I think he said that Dan Radakovich and Dabo have obviously talked to their players about that. But he hasn't yet. And I think most years you'd probably be only adding one game because Clemson would probably be getting a bye. 
Fair. So yeah. I think 17 is very unlikely because you basically would have to be a team that lost a conference championship game, still got in, didn't get a bye, and went all the way. Yeah. So it, it, it's going to happen, but I do think 16 is probably the more the number two teams Realistic. are going to end up play 16. So I'm curious. I think that that will be like really an interesting perspective on this just because he's going to have a lot of players. Like they're all talking about going to their campuses and talking to players about it. And I think that he's got to obviously have a direct pipeline to a lot of them. But I, I also, you know, he's clearly like, you know, all in on Clemson football. And like, it's, it, he's, he's one of those university presidents that really understands athletics and where they are in the, in the, in the ecosystem I'm so curious about the people on this type of board because, you know, you have all these other, like, NCAA groups with these presidents that don't get sports. And this is obviously sure. one that does because why else would you be wanting to be on a playoff committee? But I, I do think that's really going to be quite helpful. And it's a good segue to our conversation I wanted to bring you on to have, which is you wrote about how Clemson even got to this point, that they became a football power, that they became – you know, whatever this type of thing does for university to increase admissions and just, you know, awareness and all of these pieces. And it was part of our series that we did about the imbalances in college football. And I love the story of Clemson, little Clemson, as we have made fun of many times, because it's not little Clemson anymore. But how unlikely was it that Clemson, of all places, was a program that did this? I mean, I think if you go way back to the beginning and you tell Clemson fans, hey, this guy who is your wide receivers coach, who's never been a coordinator, who we're going to make your head coach, who the first time our president met him didn't know how to spell his name, is going to win you two national championships in the next decade, I think they'd be like, uh, what the heck? Um, so in that sense, I think it's it's very, like, this is very specific to Clemson. Like, I don't know that another team could have the exact blueprint that Clemson has had because I think so much of Clemson's success has been Dabo and his vision. But I think there are also some external factors that other schools would be able to tap into, which in Clemson's case was administrative support, financial support, recruiting, all these things that, that kind of have to fall into place. So I don't know. It's an interesting case study because I don't no, like, no other coach is going to be Dabo, but can you take a similar plan and give it to another coach? I don't know. Right. Like, uh, one of the things, and Dabo's talked about this a lot, but you got into this. It's like, people didn't know who he was. He's the coach with a weird name. And <laughs> I, I think that feeds into it. I, I remember a couple years ago in the playoff was, they must have been playing Ohio State, because I think that the storyline was interim, people who had been interim head coaches um, or gotten promoted from within to become the head coach and take over. And, you know, Dabo's, it's been a while now to think back about that. But, like, the idea of, of taking that chance and, and and then giving that coach what they need, because I feel like, you know, Clemson is, is, is a poster child for facilities now. Sure, sure. I and, mean, that was, that was, and that was something that was so important, like, right out of the gate. Yeah, that was, like, one of the – so Dabo gets hired, obviously, ahead of the 2009 season – and he has a different AD and a different president at the time. But when Dan Radakovich comes in, that's like one of the first things they sit down and talk about is 
Dan basically saying, what do you need? Like I, he had been to LSU, he had been at Georgia Tech, like what do you need here? And that the facilities was one of the very first things that, that came up. And Dabo sent one of his right-hand men to look at, I think, like three dozen facilities around the country and then just kind of take from, from each one of them. Another thing that I don't know if it's re- replicable is staff continuity, the way that they recruit, because, again, they, the personalities are so different, right? Like, when Dabo's recruiting someone, it's super different than a Nick Saban. It's super different than a Dan Mullen. That stuff feels, again, kind of like lightning in a bottle, right? Like, that that's not necessarily replicable. Or if it was a different staff, maybe you don't have a Brett Venables type who's just never left, even though he right. could have. Right, for sure. And I think, like... I guess, I don't is branding, like, the word, the word we look for? Like, Dabo, like, Saban has his brand. Dabo has his brand. They are completely different. But they both have a brand that is synonymous with them in the way that they win and the way that they recruit. And I don't know. Like, I actually have a recruiting story this week just about how different Dabo does it from literally every single one of his peers. Like, so many things that his peers do, he does sometimes the exact opposite. So... I don't know. I I just I'm rambling and I lost my train of thought. But yeah, I don't know. Like, what are what are Kane, some examples of that? Is it just his quirky personality, or is it literally different things he does in a recruiting visit? Um, both. So like, okay, so a couple of examples. So we're in June right now. Obviously, it's like the mad dash for recruiting. Dabo's staff is off. They will reconvene in July, like mid June. He said, "Take your vacation," and so everyone is still hosting all these camps. Clemson's taking some time off. Um, they still did no official visits this month because he doesn't do officials in the spring. And even though we just are coming out of a pandemic, he didn't change his mind. He doesn't really blow these kids up a lot. Like Will Shipley, Clemson's five-star running back, who is a true freshman now, he got his first text message from Dabo as a junior in high school. And so he's just pretty hands-off and he just kind of trusts his staff to take care of it. And he just kind of feels like, I'm not going to blow these kids up because for whatever reason. So I don't know, like he's always just been so vision oriented. And I think that goes back to how he got hired. He like walks into his interview with this gazillion page binder and is laying everything out. And the AD is like, Dabo, I know who you are. Like you can put this away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I don't know. Maybe vision is the word I'm looking for instead of branding. No, I I think it's, it's both because I mean, what else? Everyone talks about brands now, but it really is that because it's like it's who you are and who you project to the for world. For sure. For sure. And I think that that's one of the unique parts because especially when you're kind of a foil to Nick Saban and the process, it's it's so different. And the way that it's been able to translate to still get four and five star guys when he wasn't getting that, like when as the recruiting is advanced, that's what I think is maybe the most impressive part when you talk about getting to the upper echelon and staying up there and then elevating the recruiting class is we've seen, I remember Mark D'Antonio, Michigan State, and I think it was a 2015 class, but it was one of the classes right around there. They got good. And all of a sudden they could get some five-star guys. They could get four-star guys. And this was a program built on two and three-star guys that they mm-hmm. that they developed. And it didn't work. And like there was a lot of issues with people in that class. Not everyone even stayed and ended up graduating. Um, but it was, it was, it, it was a higher risk, high reward type of talent. And it wasn't the type of player that they had recruited and built. And Mm -hmm. I feel like Dabo has still been able to find the types of honestly kind of goofy kids that go to Clemson, but are also freaks and play football. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think that, like, the mix of both have been what's so successful for him. So, like, he can go out and get a Brian Brzee, the number one kid in the entire nation. And then, oh, also, you know, the kid who catches the game-winning touchdown is going to be Hunter Renfro, who had, like, an offer from App State. So, like, for whatever Clemson staff is doing in the evaluation process, I think is also unique to them in a way. I mean, Isaiah Simmons, we talked so much about this, Nicole, just you and I both on and off the record, like a three-star kid out of Kansas, you know, Michigan wanted him to be a wide receiver. So there's something about the way Clemson staff evaluates, but then, and I will say too, I think that one of the huge pieces that we probably don't talk about enough is Dabo hiring Todd Bates. And that has been like, so um, congruent with their recruiting surge is a guy who is from Alabama, went to Alabama, high school coach in Alabama, uh, coach at Jacksonville State, who now has a seat at the table with all the kids that Nick Saban wants. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When we talk about, like, is this replicable or not, I wonder about Dabo's tree. So so Jeff Scott is now the head coach at USF. Tony Elliott, Tennessee was interested. He decided not to go there. He'll, he'll be a head coach. We talk about this all the time. He's going to be yeah. a great head coach somewhere. Someday, Brent Venables could be if he wants to at any point. Can they recapture that magic? Can they duplicate what they did at Clemson? Uh, that's what I'm super I, – I, I, I really want to see. And I guess Jeff Scott is going to be the best example of this. And also, you know, you're in a recruiting area in southern Florida where you can, you know, get talent and all these things. But I, I guess as we see his tree start to get out in the world, we'll, we'll learn. Like we know certain coaches have amazing trees. Like if you look at college sports in the macro, like Nick Saban's had a lot of success with a lot of his assistants – um, some of them have won quite big. You have, you know, Coach K's tree maybe less successful at different points, right? And maybe, um, you know, and that leads to, you know, maybe not having as many successor options, right? So there's like, 
it, it's it's so interesting to think about that because I don't know if you can always predict that someone is going to be like kind of that. I don't even know what is the like the parent of a coaching tree called. Like, do, is it like the the the, 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 pa- the patriarch? <laughs> I don't know, or the the um like the actual tree, like the the trunk of the tree. I don't know. Like, I'm just <laughs> oh, but the oh right, like, like I'm not the branches then come yeah, because then there are the branches. So I I don't know, but I I do think it's hard to predict. And I think we're going to learn a lot about was this just Dabo or is this a blueprint? For sure. I mean, the thing is, the thing that's crazy about it is that for, like you mentioned Saban, for his head to head as Clemson and Alabama have gone, we don't really know what Dabo's tree looks like outside of, like you said, Jeff Scott. I mean, we've seen Chad Morris, but that's basically it. Like his tree is still very, I don't want to say small, but it's just not... They're all still there, you know. T- Tony's been on staff for years. Venables hasn't left since 2012. So I, those those are actually two of the bigger picture questions that I've had about Clemson is, A, what does Dabo's tree look like? And then, B, unrelated, but can they produce a Heisman winner? Still can't believe that that tree was not snapped during Trevor Lawrence's <laughs> career. Just going to put that out there. I will maybe never get over that. <laughs> maybe never. Do you think that Clemson – will dip at all in an expanded playoff. Like, if more teams can sell their guys on and their recruits on the access to a playoff playing for a national championship, is that actually going to hurt the programs like Clemson, Alabama? I mean, they're clearly still going to recruit well, but maybe not get yeah. everybody? I don't, I don't know. I think that's a really good question because so much of – like, you talk to recruits now and – a lot of it, a lot of it is playing for Dabo, but then a lot of it is I want to compete for a title, or this is the fast track to the NFL. So, I mean, I think you look like if we if we look at the ACC, just Clemson's own conference, and we're in a situation where let's say Mac Brown has a North Carolina team that is climbing. I mean, Clemson has had a lot of success in a state like North Carolina. They've poached a lot of kids from there, but as if the Tar Heels climb and and can now also pitch a seat at the table at the playoff. Does that hurt Clemson? I don't know. I mean, I think that Dabo has the benefit of the doubt just with so much sustained success, but it does at least make you wonder. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, 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 that, that's part of the reason I think an expanded playoff is, is worth exploring. I know our good friend Ari Wasserman would probably disagree, and the best are still going to recruit at the highest level, whatever it might be, and that maybe necessarily like, – knowing you're going to play in the playoff isn't the only thing that's driving guys to Clemson and Alabama. Like, they're going because they're going to become pros and, like, they believe in the path towards that. But if you care about becoming a good pro and wanting to play for a national championship, there's, like, six schools that you would look at right now. Right. And if you really wanted to guarantee it, you'd pick from, like, three of them. So I think that will matter in some capacity that if – like, like – Cincinnati, I think their recruiting is going to get better in a new format because they can say, we have a path. So Luke Fickle doesn't have to leave unless it's like Ohio State, you know, and he can stay there and they can get guys because they can say, you can play for national championship. Yeah, it might be like a harder path, but don't you want to be the one that does that at Cincinnati? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But if you're, you know, if it's it's Florida State or, you know, let's assume that they get good again someday or or Miami or somebody else that, you know, is going to be in that fringe group, they might be able to get in as an at-large sometimes. 
you know, maybe you're going to be able to get those good players. It's sort of like if you want to be a an NBA player and you want to go somewhere that'll prepare you and you also want to play in the Final Four, you pick Duke, you pick Michigan mm-hmm. State, you pick right. a couple of these schools. That's the part where when you expand the access and add more teams, maybe the talent disperses a little bit. Like, I don't think it's going to be super, super drastic, but maybe – you know, the best quarterback in Southern California stays home and stays at USC because the narrative isn't that the Pac-12 always misses this thing. It's that USC has a chance to play for this thing. Yeah, that was another thing I was going to ask you about is like, okay, so we saw over this past year with the pandemic, we saw kids wanting to stay home. Like they're wanting to play closer to home. So yeah, I don't know if you if your hometown or home state team now has a more clear path. Are the stars more aligned for you to to stay home? Probably. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it'll be – I think that's a piece of it that is just endless, right, is just the way that this impacts recruiting. Obviously, we have the TV money and the contracts and, you know, the regular season and all those things, but the recruiting aspect of it is also really interesting. Other coaches would tell you that Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State also get a huge boost because – Everyone else's seasons end, and then for, like, another month, those teams get talked about all the time and about sure. how great they are. And yeah. it's all this, like, free publicity. So not only are they the teams that actually get to play this thing out, but it's like a recruiting pitch all the time. Sure, sure, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I do wonder about that expansion impact of that, you know, and, and just sort of, like, the way that I'm wired, like, would I want to be the person that goes somewhere and takes them to the playoff for the first time? Or, you know, wants to be an underdog at, at a Cincinnati and, and, you know, beat an Alabama eventually or something, you know, even if you have to play them in a quarter. But, you know, or do I want to go somewhere where I could just know that I'll get a ring at some point? Like I know. That's, maybe, I was about to ask you, which one do you want? <laughs> maybe I'd prefer that. <laughs> I, I feel like Clemson's such an interesting case study, too, because I feel like the ACC has actually played this pretty well. Because they knew that Clemson was so special and that yeah. there's been such a drop-off. Like, they would not make the playoff without Clemson in this era. Oh, no chance. Yeah, no chance. And they have understood that. And I feel like they've also scheduled in a way to support that, right? Like, last year when they canceled the regular season games for, for Notre Dame and Clemson, it was like, okay, these are our best teams. We are going to put them in their best position. I feel like ACC has understood that. Clemson's the breadwinner. They've said the right things about football in a basketball-centric league. All of those pieces, um, which, I again, I don't think any of that's going to stop. I just think there's still going to have to be something going on with the other teams to elevate because you, you can't just have – especially in a 12-team field, you can't just have one team if you're the ACC. Right, yeah. That's the ACC's, I think, biggest hurdle in all of this is, okay – it's kind of, I don't want to say inexcusable, that feels a little harsh, but if you can't get another team to at least have a seat at the table or be in the mix, then not only is it kind of like, what are we doing? But then, I don't know, does that like weaken Clemson's resume too? Does it hurt Clemson if you still can't produce another team that can remotely compete? I think it, it hurts from the standpoint of you're not as battle-tested, probably. Sure. I think too... You don't have much margin for error. The reason that right. we always end up overhyping, like we're going to overhype this Georgia game, right? Because, you know, if Clemson loses it, then, you know, do they have those opportunities in the rest of their schedule to actually make up for it? We know Georgia would. 
And it ends up becoming this really, you know, pretty negative storyline for the league that Clemson's schedule is so weak that no one's watching them that, you know, like because they're not being challenged. And it, it sort of reminds me of Gonzaga heading into the basketball tournament every year because they're like, oh, they haven't played anybody in two months. And it's kind of the same thing yeah. when you talk about Clemson, but you're talking about a power conference. So it's it's definitely a problem. I, I think that's why an expanded playoff is good for leagues like that because no one's going to dethrone Clemson in the immediate short term. But right. if you can get in a large team in, maybe North Carolina can get that good. They can mm-hmm. have that kind of season. Or Miami or Virginia Tech can get back to that level. Like, it's possible – that somebody else can join them. Whereas, like, I don't think... It's the same problem in the Big Ten with Ohio State. Like, Penn State and Michigan haven't been able to knock off Ohio State. But in this format, they would have a chance. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, and then, right, then it takes one, and then your recruiting builds, and then, okay, now we've got two players that can slog this out. Yeah. I will still say, I do think the power imbalance will still exist at the end. Like, I, I, I don't think this is going to decrease the chances that it's a Clemson-Alabama title game. I agree with that. But I do think it'll be more interesting along the way, and it'll be more interesting in, like, November, where we're going to actually watch the Pac-12 championship game instead of not, right? And and, and some of that stuff. That's where we'll see the biggest difference. But also, maybe not until 2026, so. Gosh. Who knows? Who knows? Gosh. Um, So, Grace, before you go... This is your first time on Power Hour, and we have a segment at the end called Last Shot. Last, um, last call. Sorry. Last call. <laughs> last shot. Last shot. So many drinking metaphors. Sometimes hard to keep track. Oh, God. Last call. So if we were at a bar and it was last call, we would be cheersing to celebrate something or having a shot of something, or we would be venting about something that was annoying that was like, you know, at the end of the night, we were finally like getting it off our chest. So it can be anything. It can be football related. It can be anything in the world related. I vented recently about Zoom meetings, that we should go back to teleconferences. We don't have to look at ourselves all the time. Oh, gosh. I agree with that. So I will go first because okay. I'm feeling that your last call can end up being similar. Okay, go ahead. So mine is my last call is cheers to our girl Taylor Swift, oh, who yes. announced very recently that she's re-recording Red, which got us all in our feels, and we are going to get a 10-minute version of All Too Well, which is going to be incredible. Taylor Swift helps offset all of the sports in our lives. So cheers to Taylor for doing this for us. This is specifically for us and our work-life balance and our (laughs) love for her music. So cheers to that, and specifically... Putting a scarf in the little like photo about it to tease uh, it because poor so Jake Gyllenhaal. Actually, sorry, he's not. He should not, go hibernate. Yeah, Cheers not, to that guy. Not a pu- not yeah, not a not a poor Jake Gyllenhaal. You deserve this, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes, is going to hate himself as we relive that. Do era you think he calls up Joe Jonas and is like, "Yo, help me out." I would never want to be an ex of Taylor Swift, but I especially would not want to be the ex of All Too Well. Because no, that no, song, no. You're in a league of your own. Yeah. That is an all-time, all-time song. I'm so excited for the 10-minute version. And I think that this is going to be – it's coming out during football season, right? I November think. 19th, yes. Great. So we will be in the pre 
conference championship phase of the season, pre-Thanksgiving, we'll be ready for this. We'll be tired, we'll be sleep-deprived, and we will need it to balance out the rest of the Sunday through Friday of our weeks. And I just want to say cheers to Taylor for doing this for the, for us. I, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I already looked it up. I was like, who's Clemson playing the next day? Am I emotionally going to be okay? <laughs> it's Clemson-Wake Forest, so Probably. it's a home game, so I can, like, I can like sleep in my own bed and really process. Grace is going to have, like, too well. eight candles and a glass <laughs> of wine at midnight when this drops. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I wish you could be there. Okay, so your last call. Give okay. it to me. Okay, my cheers. Okay, well, that's a, obviously a great one. Um, my cheers is to actually, I'm going to be seeing you in a few weeks. Um, like you and our good friend Tori McElhaney, who covers the Falcons for us, we're all hanging out in the mountains of North Carolina in a few weeks. So that's my cheers. Yes, and um, very excited also about that. Basically, my only vacation for the football season because it's been a busy off season. Again, again. Um, so I'm excited about that. We're, we're inspired by, by Dabo giving his staff an extra vacation while everyone exactly. else is working. I respect exactly. it. I respect yeah. it. Well, Grace, thank you so much for joining me. This was a delight. Yeah, this is awesome. Thanks I for can't me. wait to do it again as we get closer to the season. And um, thank you all for listening to Power Hour. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, sign up at theathletic.com slash Nicole for 40% off. Andy Staples will be back tomorrow with Ari Wasserman. Um, they'll be around wherever they are the rest of this week, those crazy cats. And we will see you next Tuesday on Power Hour. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.